This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode. In the red corner, we have treasure, pirate ships, puzzles, and the now infamous Truffle Shuffle, plus a whole host of teenage wish fulfillment as Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, and Josh Brolin get together for one of the defining movies of the 80s. From a story by Steven Spielberg and with Richard Donner directing, hey you guys, it's 1985's The Goonies. Meet Mikey. Brand. Andy. Shame, shame. Come on, Brand. Slip with the tongue. That's disgusting. No, I can't even look. Mouth. Get off mine. You're ruining the pain. You're ruining my job. Stephanie. Data. Boy, Bango. Oh, yeah, isn't it, Andy? And Chunk. Slot. They call themselves the Goonies. They've stumbled onto a legend, but they're not alone. While in the blue corner, yes, more kids in the 80s, but this lot have got a lot more on their hands than some bumbling crooks as they take on Universal's very own monsters as Dracula, the Mummy, Frankenstein and more manage to avoid copyright infringements as they descend on small-town America. And we finally answer the question that has plagued humanity for generations. Yes, Wolfman's got nards from 19. 87. It's the Monster Squad. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgin. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh! 
than a big, scary monster. What's happening? You wait until the werewolf. Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. So, what connects these two movies, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. Uh, welcome to the show, Victoria, Chris. Damn, watching these movies has made me miss your faces. How are you? I've just got to deal with a child. Bear with. Oh, all right. Cool. Uh, Chris, uh, how, how are you? Any children? Nope. But I agree with you, Alex. You're the, you guys are the closest I've got to a gang these days. And so... Right? Yeah. And it made me sad. It made me want my childhood back as well, which is something that Vicky's clearly dealing with on her side, right? Now. <laughs> oh. Why don't we talk about the, connect, the, the guesses, Alex? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, so, thanks, Chris. We do have some guesses uh, from our lovely at ClashPod Twitter feed. That is Ash Cla- at ClashPod. Um, if you don't follow us already, uh, please join the party. And it is a social media party. So the clue that went up on Twitter and indeed I announced last week was the kids aren't all right. Granted, it was a fairly vague clue. Big news. No one got it. But our surreptitious way of getting suggestions for future Clash Pods remains strong. (laughs) So Russell and Andrew Logan went with The Omen versus The Exorcist which I definitely think is a potential clash of the future, Chris. 100%. Yeah. Oh, and I yeah. like that phrase, clash what? of the future. That's very good. <laughs> uh, Blackheart went for Kindergarten Cop and The Pacifier. Vin versus Diesel. Vin Diesel versus Arnie, rather. That's that's not bad. I could do that. Yep. I, I noticed uh, Kindergarten Cop's just um, been added to Netflix, so I wouldn't mind revisiting that one. Um, Johnny Moore says Orphan and Brightburn. I like this as a suggestion. Thoughts? Yeah. No, okay, okay. Uh, whereas Anthony M. Rose went for It's Chapter 1 versus Stand By Me, a couple of Stephen King adaptations. Although if we're doing It, we are doing the Tim Curry version. And that covers this week's obligatory Tim Curry mention. Got it in early. Uh, got it in early this week. Uh, but the closest this week, uh, big respect to Paul Jordan, who got it after the very first clue. He went with the Goonies uh, versus Breakfast Club. So he's our half winner of the week. Congratulations, Paul Jordan. Uh, yeah, Goonies versus Monster Squad. So, uh, Victoria, have you returned from child management? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. <laughs> Excellent. Is it all good? All good in the hood? Uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, um, I can't tell you what they're up to. It's bonkers out there. I'm, yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. So I'm happier here. Shut okay. the door and pretend okay. it isn't happening. It's excellent. It's just, it's just, I need to put a lock on the door, you know. Not really, I need to do this in the bathroom, but then that would sound weird. I don't know. Have you not got a quiet space? You know, like the, um, is it an uncle that they stay with in the Famous Five and the Famous Five were never allowed to go in his study? And it was always like, oh, I wonder what's in the study. Do you not have a Famous Five style study the kids can't get to? I've got a very damp room under the stairs that I could hide in if I was happy to share it with the mice, which is, is what it might come to. Got to get Harry Potter out of there first, though. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> right then. Um, so, would you like to guess the connection between the Goonies and the Monster Squad? Victoria. Bats on strings. <laughs> it's good, but it's not right. Chris. Fat shaming. Yeah, I had that. Fat shaming. Big kids love chocolate. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's good or not, but it's not right. <laughs> Victoria, any others? Uh, no, actually, that's all I did. I was very excited to see something that I'd not spotted before because I'd not watched the films back to back. Mary Ellen Trainer. <laughs> That is the connection, Chris. Yes, Mary Ellen Trainer. I've been dying to do the two films in which Mary Ellen Trainer plays the mother of our protagonist, uh, Mrs. Walsh in The Goonies and Helen in The Monster Squad. I think her name's Helen. So, yes, uh, the connection this week is the films of Mary Ellen Trainer. And do you know that means that she actually overtakes Christopher Eccleston from last week as our most, uh, oh, most appearances on Clash Pod films? Uh, um, the real connection is uh, this obviously Uh, the Mary Ellen training thing was something I too spotted this time I would not have known that in advance the connection is not all gangs of youths are bad news what as in gangs of youths are normally associated with bad things these days but in the halcyon days of the 1980s gangs of youths formed amazing clubs like with catchphrases like goonies never say die i mean just in your own head just say it's mary ellen trainer you love that one <laughs> um so victoria Yes. I gave you the Goonies. Chris, I gave you the Monster Squad. We do it chronologically. The Monster Squad will be along on Thursday, which means today, Victoria, we're heading back to 1985. Take us through the Goonies. Mm-mm-mm. Richard Donner directed Superman and Chris Columbus wrote Gremlins, something neither of them want you to forget, even when you're watching the Goonies. <laughs> Possibly to disguise the fact that this much-loved mashup of pirate adventure, coming-of-age story, race against time, monster and mob movie has, as its inciting incident, the dullest of setups. Where are the bad guys going to put their new golf course? Right on top of the goon docks, unless pals Mikey, Chunk, Data, Mouth, Brand and some girls who turn up can find the mythical loot of notorious pirate hoarder One-Eyed Willie and buy their house back or something? Pursued by Italian mobsters who enjoy the opera because Italy, as well as chaining up their brother Sloth because the 80s, the plucky youngsters race to find the treasure before sunrise, eventually stumbling upon a really cool pirate ship, stuffing the most fake-looking gems you've ever seen into a hanky and saving the town. The end. I mean, I would say that's more entertaining than the film, what you just did. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. (laughs) That was really good. You seem to be pretty sure of yourself. The foreclosure is a definite. What's your dad going to do with all that stuff that's in the attic? He's going to give it back to the museum. Maybe there's some stuff up there for us. Maybe there's some stuff that we can keep from the old side. Lots of Maybe there's some rich stuff. No, Look, look, that says 1632. Is that a year or so? Wow, you guys realize what we could do? 
Just beware. Crushing death and grief. Soaked with blood of the trespassing feet. Look at this. You see what I found? Of villainous property development in the eighties, wasn't there? I don't think it's just the Goonies. <laughs> but I just property... think, could it not be not golf? I don't, or is it just? And <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that was um, that was that was a great journey uh, through the Goonies. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm sensing um, that perhaps already this isn't the cult favourite that <laughs> I've waded into this podcast, believing it to be. Victoria. No, it's not that. It's um, it's just never been as beloved by me as it has by other people I know, and I don't know why. I've seen it like two or three times. So I haven't seen it loads actually. So two or three times, and then on this watching, of course I enjoyed it, but for the first time I found the tone really hard to place, and it annoyed me a little bit. And that's because I'm the oldest now. We'll we'll go into this in a in a bit, but it falls between which at the time it was much admired for, but it falls between film for adults and film for kids in a way that's weird, I think. Okay, so let's let's establish where you say it was never beloved. When you no. watched it the first time, what's your history with this film? I just saw it when I was younger. I've no idea when, but um, it just, it wasn't in the playground. I mean, I'm a little bit, not to show off, I'm a little bit too young for it to have been the thing when I was growing up. Um, So it was always quoted by older kids and then I watched it and then I was like, oh, I get it, but I just didn't love it that much. I can't explain it. Are you on the same page, Chris? Because you just said that introduction from Victoria was more entertaining than the movie. No, that was no slight on the movie. That was just me paying Vicky a compliment on how good her a intro huge was. compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about audiobooks, Victoria? <laughs> and the fu- fucking Harry Potter walks into fucking Hogwarts and fucking this, fucking Dumbledore's there. I am so offended. <laughs> I'm just returning us to parity after the compliment Chris gave you. There we are. Back to normal. Yeah, my, my brother actually had to turn the podcast off in the car the other day because Vicky was swearing so you, much and his little child you, got upset. Oh, were no. oh, you being serious? Yeah. I I, oh. I, I I had a mini tour for us booked to primary schools when lockdown's up, but that's been cancelled. <laughs> Oh, I'm mortified. I'm I'm covering my mouth, which is unprofessional because I'm so mortified. Um, my first uh, screening of this, I talked about um on when our remembering cinema episode. So I won't go into it in detail. But Alex, have you been to any fun in the foyer screenings? Do people know what fun in the foyer screenings are? <laughs> it's not what I think it is. <laughs> um. I, is this? I'm, I'm guessing. Is this? Is this for adults or for kids? First of all, it's the family screenings they put on on a Sunday morning for children's films Ye- for critics. Yes, yes, yes. I've I've actually hosted uh, a couple of those, and, and let me tell you, it's a lot more fun just going on stage and going, "Who likes dinosaurs?" <laughs> I felt like a kids entertainer. Uh, <laughs> it was wonderful. So yes, I am aware of these things. Yeah. So I, I am. Um... Have, I've only been to one as an adult because they're quite nightmare, nightmarish if you're a, a critic trying to concentrate and there's millions of kids all around you. Um, the only one I went to was Elf and it kept my attention 
because the film was good, but I was quite hungover. They, they're Sunday mornings are bad news. And I was nearly sick mm. on the child next to me. But that's another story. Because <laughs> um, I, I went to my video shop so often when I was a kid, the guy that ran the video store gave my mum and dad tickets to a preview of The Goonies. And so I saw it before it came out in 1985. It was my first visit to Leicester Square to see a movie. And wow. went with my folks, got given like Goonies pen, Goonies hat whatever was in a goodie bag. And then afterwards they asked kids to do little Vox Pops, little interviews to camera. And I went to do that. And I completely went to pieces when they asked me what I thought of the film and ran to my mum and dad. Like <laughs> complete wet pants, which is ironic because 20 years later, that literally became my job was talking about films to camera. <laughs> but as a seven year old, I could not cope with the pressure. And what was your what was your review of your of the film though? What would it have been had, had you not cracked under the pressure of I don't know a camera? Well, I was I was conflicted because I enjoyed the film, but my mum and dad didn't. And if you remember, I said that my at the beginning when Chunk when the cars drive by and Chunk smears his milkshake and pizza on the window, my mum yeah. just tutted really loudly and said American brats. <laughs> and my dad kind of nodded in agreement. And so I was thinking, oh, am I not supposed to like these kids? <laughs> Um, so I was quite conflicted, but I liked it. I watched this a lot when I was a kid and it was one of my um, favourites. And also it was always on the telly um, once it hit TV. It was always seemed to be on. So I've seen it so many times. I barely needed to watch it again uh, for this viewing. How about you, Alex? I'm, I'm the opposite. I saw this once as a child and I haven't watched it in what I'm going to guess about 30 years. So this is the second time. I watched The Goonies in about 30 years. And I guess I'm a bit closer to Victoria. It never had the impact on me. Remember, you're a little bit older than us. So oh, piss off, I missed the- What am I, one year <laughs> older than you? <laughs> I think I think it's more. I think it's a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> but I, one, I kind of missed the... I missed the first wave. Like it was like the kids were like who saw it in the first wave. It must have been seven or eight, ten years old, twelve years older than me. So, um, so yeah, I I wasn't around for that. No, it's never been the cult favorite that it has for a lot of people. Um, but I was very, very excited to watch it again. Genuinely thrilled. And uh, at the opening of this movie is hands down the most excited I've been in about two or three years to watch a film because I kind of knew what was coming, but I couldn't actually remember what it was. And the minute that score kicks in during the jailbreak, I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And it never quite lived up to it. (laughs) I also know one other thing I've literally just remembered is that my mum went to the video store to try to rent the Goonies. And the guy it hadn't come out yet. And the guy gave her a film called Ghoulies, which was a horror film rated... A Gremlins 15. ripoff. Yeah, Gremlins ripoff, yeah. rated 15. Scarier than Gremlins, though, I would say. Mm. And gave it to my mum and said, oh, this will be fine. They swear a little bit, these creatures, but they, they'll be fine for the kids to watch. And that film really effed me up. That was a big, <laughs> that was a big mistake. So I remember seeing I'd seen the box of that because the the main ghoulie is this horrible green goblin creature popping out of a lavatory. It lives in a lavatory, yeah, or it, it comes does out the on the video to bite cover. someone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. For a future episode, right then. 
yeah, or, or not. So let's go through uh, the film. Victoria, would you like to guide us through uh, the Goonies or at least take us through any of the backstory, which I imagine you've uncovered regarding the creation of this classic, in some people's opinion? I have a little bit for you. So uh, it was made by Amblin Entertainment. And as you said, appropriately, therefore, Steven Spielberg is the person that comes up with the um, short story, the base of the story, and then gets Chris Columbus to flesh that out into a full screenplay. And then you've got Richard Donner uh, on board to direct. But uh, Steven Spielberg himself did also do a bit of directing. So some second unit stuff. But I think he also did... The, a couple of quite well-known scenes, like uh, the wishing well scene, which uh, we'll come back to because I don't like that, um, and also the bit <laughs> where they're banging on the pipes, which is, is quite funny. Um, but if you think about what that might have been like for, for Richard Donner, <laughs> for instance, if your producer is also a director and a very famous one and a very good one, then that might have been uh, a bit of a difficult situation to manage. And I read um, a quote from... Richard Donner to say how difficult that was, but particularly, obviously, work, you know, people say never work with kids or animals, and the kids may have been a bit of a handful. Um, hmm. And what he said was, I think the unique thing about working with the kids on this picture is that every night I'm contemplating suicide. Individually, they're wonderful, the warmest little things that have come into my life. And that's this is me speaking. That sounds sarcastic, but whatever. Um, <laughs> But in composite form, you get them together and it's mind-blowing, which means, I think, mind-blowingly awful. Um, <laughs> you can imagine, I mean, just imagine, like a group of kids who know they're the centre of the grown-ups world. It, it would just have been, or just I don't know how anyone survived, to be honest. Um, I watched them, I don't know, did you watch this? There was a thing on Zoom uh, that Josh Gad hosted a reunion just in April this year um, to raise money uh, because of the coronavirus, and he reunited the whole cast um, of the Goonies. It was quite incredible because you had on the on the video screen there was like Josh Brolin was there, Spielberg was there, Richard Donner was there, Corey Feldman, Sean Astin, everyone was there. And Spielberg actually tells a story that I hadn't heard before about how towards the end of filming, Richard Donner had literally had enough. There were two weeks to go, and Richard Donner's just saying to Spielberg, I, "I'm I'm done." In two weeks, I'm going straight to my house in Hawaii and I'm going to relax and I cannot wait. And Spielberg flew the cast out to Hawaii before Richard Donner got there. And when Richard Donner arrived at his house in Hawaii and opened the door, the cast were there and went, ah! <laughs> That's a nightmare. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, a we'll be back next week on more practical jokes for millionaires. But B, <laughs> <laughs> what a thing to do! What a horrible thing to do to someone. <laughs> That's awful, yeah. awful thing to do. Oh my god! <laughs> Just looking forward to some peace and quite a bit of grown-up time. Yeah, they. Well, I can't remember which one of them said. They said he actually fell to his knees and went white. They thought he was having a stroke. <laughs> but then because they're kids, they're going to be like, oh, but you love us really. Just <laughs> annoying. Uh, they're, well, not normal, they're not normal kids either. Like if you watch the no. behind the scenes footage, of which there's quite a lot of them shooting this film, they are quite bratty Hollywood kids. Um, oh. A few of them, I'd say, particularly uh, Jeff Cohen, who plays Chunk and... Uh, Corey Feldman, who plays Mouth, like they are, they're, they're they're very bratty, and and I listened to the commentary from a few years back that's on the DVD when they all got together for the first time since, and they're still like that, you know, talk just 
all talking over each other and, and Corey Feldman just being the most annoying person on the planet. So, um, it, yeah, you should watch the Zoom thing, uh, Chris. It's it's on YouTube and it's it's great because Josh Gad sort of goes, like, as he introduces each of them, he goes, hey, um, how have you been? It's great to have you here. What are you up to? And every single one of them who isn't Steven Spielberg or Josh Brolin nearly just goes, so I'm, uh, I'm actually getting back into the film industry. I've got a new film coming out. This is my film. And you're like, come on, really? You're promoting on this. <laughs> but I like the fact as well that Jeff Cohen, who's the only one that actually gave up acting after this, he seems like the most dramatic of all of them. He's got properly dressed up for it. He's got a little set. He's doing, he acts out scenes. Um, oh, you watched it. Did you see it as well? I did. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did. Anyway, enough of that. Vicky. Yeah, it's it, it's worth watching, um, if only because it's full of technical nightmares as well. <laughs> so it's, it's, there are, it, it's enjoyable, but it's full of very awkward, hammy moments. Awkward moments and hammy moments, but you should watch it. A bit like this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. it yeah. makes us feel a lot better. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of it. Um, if anyone's interested, it costs $19 million to make. It grossed 124 So that means that's a hit. Uh, but obviously it's quite old. And so, yeah, it has since become a cult film. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, I don't know. I think to to some people it isn't, <laughs> basically. Um but let's have a look at why. So what I said before was there was a, I read a review from the time that said that Spielberg had found an in-between niche. There used to be children's movies and adult movies, and now he's found the ground that's in between. So that's where I think we should start because although it ties a lot of things together and it does them really well. So like growing up and your first kiss and treasure and very uh, proper bad guys. And then the eighties corporate bad guys and pirates and all the rest of it. Some of the stuff that's in the first 10 minutes to me is not not for kids. Like not in a sort of prudish, like how dare they, but just I don't see how they would get it. So like it opens with a pretend suicide. Who's that for? And then in about 10 minutes, (laughs) (laughs) there's a mention of heroin. And that I'd forgotten that. Then that's a funny joke where Mouth is uh, pretending to speak, uh, well, speaking Spanish to to a helper, a mate. I don't know what she is. Rosalita, Um, the housekeeper. Rosalie to the housekeeper, and he isn't saying what you what the what the mother thinks he's saying. So he's talking to her about tidying up and saying you want to keep all the drugs together. You put the heroin here, you do whatever. <laughs> and I mean, it's you don't heroin in a kids' film. No, that's like, no, <laughs> that's, I don't think so. <laughs> so. I would be interested to who do you think? Do you think this film was ever for kids? Or is it for grown-ups? And there's nothing wrong with this, but who like roles tinting their own childhood? Like, there's nothing, no shade there, but is it actually for children? Like, would you let a child watch it? Well, Richard Donner said he wanted to make a kid's film with a harder edge. And so he said that's why there's swear words and penises and obscene stuff with the housekeeper. And what he refers to as the truffle shuffle, he calls it the stomp with the belly. (laughs) 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 which is a weird way to describe it well i certainly i certainly remember my parents being a bit confused by all that stuff in the opening few scenes like it did seem far too mature for me and my brother who i guess were six and seven at the time um yeah and it is weird it is it is weird and there's the stuff with the sort of the sexual awakening almost of mikey and and right at the end when she says you know you're you know you're whatever she says about your parts might not be ready now but they will be and it's like yeah, does it's, she mean his, his penis? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and on the commentary, oh, the girl that delivers that line even says to Richard Donner, what were you talking about there? Is that as rude as I think it was? It's difficult to answer that question 
I about I loved it now a lot more because of those things, but then I'm a year old adult, so I <laughs> obviously like that appeals to me. I I I think they just went over my head as a kid. I don't think I was like, oh, heroin. I'll have to try and get that because they mentioned it yeah. in the Goonies. And it, it definitely, I, it definitely it was, went over I, my head. I think what they were trying to do was do jokes for adults and children, all in the same movie. And they didn't quite get the combination right, that mixture right, in the way that Pixar figured it out a few years later, how to yeah. do jokes for for the mature audience and the young audience. And I think that's why Goonies, it's, a, it's, an odd, it's an odd one. And I think we've talked about this before about the 80s, just the tone of films was a bit strange and there was much more frightening stuff in children's films. And it just felt like that all these young directors, the leash was let off them and they just did whatever the hell they wanted. And that's why you get these weird sort of juxtapositions in, the, in those films. Which is exciting in the sense that it's like something that we would never see today. Yeah. But you are right. It's it's about the tone. If you're walking into a movie and the whole start of the movie, the car chase and everything, it kind of and the score especially, it sets up a, a, a very broad, like warm kind of movie. Apart from the attempted suicide, fake suicide, which I'd totally forgotten. You see, this is the thing. I saw that and just went, yeah, "All right, cool. He's getting out of jail, and that's how he's planned it." But obviously, now you've mentioned it, Victoria. Yeah, it's a uh, a hanging scene. To, it's literally the first thing you see in the film. But you can't... The, 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 the adult jokes don't land because by the time you hit that heroin stuff, you're already in the mindset that it's a kid's movie. So you're, you, you're more perplexed by it than yeah. ready for it and expecting it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the stuff where they And snap- also, they're not funny. They're, like the, the funniest stuff is the more ridiculous stuff. Like you mentioned the water pipes, the slapstick stuff like that, or the bit where the bit where Mouth puts his tongue through the oil painting. <laughs> yeah, um, and Mikey goes, Mikey goes, stop doing that. You're ruining my painting. And he goes, you're ruining my joke. It's great. <laughs> when, he, when he says the yeah. heroin line uh, on the commentary, Corey Feldman says, don't you think it's a bit ironic that I'm talking about heroin here? Irony is not the right word, though, is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit sad. It's yeah, dark. Grim. Upsetting. <laughs> yes, correct. Well, let's talk about the kids. Um, but unusually, I'm going to start this by I want to talk about brand first. So, Josh Brolin. Um, so, I think. I do uh, too. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> he's a good place to start. Thanks. Um, so, first of all, he's obviously always been a good actor, and this proves it. And as a character, he brings that wish fulfillment that these films often have of having grown ups listen to the kids as equals. So, he represents the grown up as Mikey's older brother. But I like the fact that he's got his own little, not not necessarily an arc, but just little character stuff going on. So the fact that he's failed his driving test and he has to ride around on his sister's bike, his brother's tiny little bike. Oh, no, he steals a bike from a child, doesn't he? A child's bike. And little things like that that give him more presence and is, is a good counterpoint to the kids because the kids obviously get on my nerves. Yeah. Um, I, will, I, I know this is going to sound weird because, you know, Everyone, to put it simply, Josh Brolin in this movie looks like he's put been put through one of those apps that just de-ages you, like as opposed to, (laughs) (laughs) like I, 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 he looks exactly the same, just younger. Which I know sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but like obviously, well, you mean nineteen eighty five? Josh Brolin looks like Josh Brolin only younger. Yeah, I do, but he just looks like him. But like he's just been airbrushed. He looks like a Photoshop version of Josh Brolin now. 
Yeah, because he's got the same gravitas and like the same sort of heavyweight presence, but he's just wearing a white vest thing constantly <laughs> and working out all the time. But he still could play the president <laughs> easily. He's also wearing his yeah. shorts outside his tracky bottoms, which I'm not which sure about. I, is a look I love. Mm. <laughs> I do know I really do. You wouldn't think it with the hate of white socks, but I don't. I don't mind that look at all. The little girl whose yeah. bike he steals and who stomps her feet in quite an adorable way, that's the actor who plays D- Data. That's his niece. Okay, cool. Wow. <laughs> a few more of those uh, coming your way today. <laughs> yeah. Bring in Tilly Trivia back. It's been a, a fallow few shows. I'm pleased to see Tilly Trivia is making a comeback with the most abstract, in the most abstract way possible. Good. Brett Spider? Oh, you mean data from this movie? You don't mean data from Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm always thinking about Star Trek these days. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just smashed through a couple, smashed through a couple of box sets of the next gen the other day. So, uh, yeah, that's where my head's at. I was like, oh, she, doesn't, she doesn't look like Brent Spiner's niece, but. Fine. <laughs> right. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. I don't even I don't remember that moment. So all right, excellent. Good. Uh so the kids represent your standard tropes, your stereotypes. So you've got the clever kid, he's Asian, discuss. Uh you've got your fat kid who's humorous, discuss. Um, and you've got your sort of everyman, which is Mikey, and then the motormouth called Mouth. Um, have I missed anyone? No, I don't think so. And then the girls, the girls that turn up later. So you've got Ste- uh, Steph is an interesting character because she doesn't quite fit with um, a sort of fun best friend character, but she's but Andy, the sort of uh, main girl, if you will, is a very typical like I don't even know if she's a cheerleader, but the prize that everyone seeks. So Brand uh, fancies her, wants to get off with her, and all the rest of it, and she hasn't got much character accordingly. Well, Jeff Cohen, who plays Chunk, apparently he actually auditioned for the role of Mouth, um, and in the audition, uh, he was told. Um, by uh, Donna Spielberg et al. Uh, oh, you sound like a mouth, but you look like a chunk. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> so he got the roller chunk anyway. <laughs> um, and then, so just to get back to the plot, I mean, I know that probably everybody knows this, but the the engine of the story is we're trying to find the treasure of... Actually, I've just thought about this. If it's a kid's film, is it all right to have a character that's called One-Eyed Willie? Like, is that meant to be... <laughs> oh, my God, I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah. I only just thought of it. Is that all right? Ugh. Wait, was was Willie... A re- was it was Willie a slang? A piece of slang? Was slang? Was it slang? <laughs> yeah, saying slang. I, it was. Slang. It was because me right. and my brother thought that was the funniest thing we'd ever heard. That this. this Did you get it? Oh, I didn't get Willie. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> just, 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 yeah. Just the fact that he was called Willie was funny to us. Went, was, uh, went um, over my head. But it <laughs> wasn't uh, a really in America. Willie wasn't the oh, well, okay. generic term. So it was more a, a little funny thing for English people. Uh, it wasn't an intentional joke. I don't think. Okay, so the the kids are off to find the treasure of One-Eyed Willie. One-Eyed Willie is a pirate from the past whose mm. treasure has never been discovered and they find a map in Mikey's dad's loft. He's got his own private loft, which is suspicious. Um, anyway, um, and this treasure map will take them to the treasure and Mikey really wants the treasure because he wants to save his house slash the whole town, I wasn't clear, from some horrible golf developers. So there we're on our quest. 
the quest which then puts us in the path of the Fratellis, who are a mum and two, three sons, crime bosses of some sort. Um, and they're going to chase after the kids and provide a bit of real danger, as well as the danger of being in some ancient tunnels, solving puzzles, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so the bickering pair, Robert Darby and Joe Pantoliano, were there. I quite like um, their bickering. And uh, apparently um, it's so authentic because they hated each other. Really? Uh, and that's, yeah. Yeah. And Joe Pantoliano on this Zoom thing that Chris and I watched, this recent thing, this is like a month ago, was still sort of going when they were like, oh, Josh Gadsworth goes, oh, um, so, you know, you have this bickering thing. I mean, what was, was it really like that? And Joe Pantoliano goes, yep, I cannot stand the guy. <laughs> And it's sort of like done in that kind of like I can if I say it like this, it might sound like a joke, but read my face. I don't <laughs> like the guy. But it sounds justified because in the audition, they auditioned together for the roles. And at the time, Joe was wearing a hairpiece. He'd already gone bald and he was wearing a hairpiece. And they walked in together and Robert Darby like starts pointing out his hairpiece and going, you know, he wears a hairpiece. Look at his hairpiece. He's got a hairpiece on. You're gonna cast him with a hairpiece? And like and it ended up with I believe uh, Robert Darby nailing Joe Pantoliano's dressing door, dressing room door shut on set. <laughs> and it was quite a fraught relationship. What a fun set to be on, it sounds like, all in all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you thought the kids were going to be nightmares. Check out these two. <laughs> Setting a good example. <laughs> uh, Michael Jackson was also a regular visitor to the set as well. Was he? Yeah. Why? Uh, and Joey Pant says on, <laughs> on the unofficial behind-the-scenes documentary, Joey Pant says, boy, oh, boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> oh, God. What does that mean? Oh, no. Well, apparently loads of people visited the set uh, because it was they built it. It was huge. They built the pirate ship for real so that the kids could be like, oh, my God, on this huge soundstage. And um, Harrison Ford visited the set. And apparently Clint Eastwood visited the set, uh, watched for 15 minutes, and then went up to Richard Donner after watching like the kids for 15 minutes and went, do you ever think about going back to acting? <laughs> That's quite a good impression as well, actually. Thanks. Thanks very much. Elder Statesman Eastwood. I think you've got that one down. Um, so... It's going on the list. <laughs> so apart from, I just want to give a quick mention to the blender, which makes an appearance um, because when Chunk is captured by the Fratellis, he's sort of half tortured with the threat of a blender. And we've now done so many films on this podcast where blenders are a thing um, mm. that I can't stop thinking of them as sort of like, what's the equivalent of now? Like everyone's got one. You want to show it off in your film a little bit. <laughs> Well, it'd be something like a Nutribullet, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> check out my uh, Nutribullets. Yeah. Um, but if, if it's all right with everyone, we're on the quest. We're finding the treasure. Da, 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 da. We're going through the tunnels. And then I would like to talk about the wishing well scene, if that's all right with everyone. Yeah, why? I'm interested. You seem to have taken umbrage, particularly with this wishing well scene. I have taken umbrage with it. And then I was a bit devastated to find out if it's true that it was a Steven Spielberg directed scene because I hate the dialogue <laughs> and I hate the um, 
where it where it comes in the film and the structured opportunity that is missed in this wishing well scene. So the dialogue, if for a kids' film, is especially mawkish. Which is so they're in a wishing well and there's all these coins. Andy says, "I always used to believe if you threw your money in, you got your wish." It's like, of course you fucking did, you idiot! It's a wishing well. What were you supposed to think? And then at that point, mouth says it has this weird breakdown where he's like i'm not having this i'm taking my money back i used to think you got your wish as well but you don't and it's not cool and it's like what where has this come from like all of a sudden (laughs) you're having this meltdown that you didn't get your wish and the problem that's that's my two problems with the scene but the biggest problem for me is here is a chance to create a low point for mikey later on because this is what serves as the low point and it's not a low point. Oh. It's rubbish. So he's like, "Come on, guys, this is our time. If we got, we if they find a potential escape to go up the up the well." Um, and he's like, "No, guys, this is down here." He literally says, "Down here," because they're down there. It's our time, which doesn't mean anything, but nonetheless. <laughs> so then they follow their friend. Now, what should have happened? is he lies about the exit. We can't, it, oh no, it doesn't go up. Even though he sees Andy's boyfriend shouting down, no, no, we can't get out. Let's carry on, carry on. Then stuff goes wrong further on in the tunnels and they're trapped and he believes it's his fault because it is his fault. That's a low point, not just going, hey guys, it's our time. Do you think? Well, I think you've added Steven Spielberg to the list of people <laughs> you can write better than. <laughs> <laughs> not my words, but thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm still wondering what three seventeen-year-old lads were doing on like hanging a Friday around a wishing night. well. Just, <laughs> yeah, they're just standing around a wishing well, hanging out, <laughs> yeah. talking about third base or whatever. I was quite intrigued yeah. by, oh, God, by yeah. Troy, who's the bully of the, of of the group, and he's, oh, he's a pervert as well. <laughs> he's a screenwriter now. He wrote the share Christina Aguilera movie Burlesque. Wow, brilliant! <laughs> really? yeah. That's brilliant. That's- that is right. It's not a bad film. Not a bad film. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Burlesque. Is that the one? Yeah, burlesque is the one which... The, the big twist in it is it's about... Isn't it about... It's a burlesque movie that's simultaneously about property development. I'm pretty sure the twist in it is that you can... Like, property exists at certain levels and you can own the ground floor of something but not the first floor of something. I swear to God, that is the twist in a movie called Burlesque. hell. <laughs> we should have done a podcast about property development in movies. <laughs> it's just, it does. It sort of goes from, like, sexy burlesque to... So, these are the rules of property development in Los Angeles currently. <laughs> 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I, I, I didn't mind the wishing well scene. I, now that you've pointed it out, I'm not quite sure what Corey Feldman's on about. You're like, what, what wish did you make? Yeah. When did you, when did you, did I miss something? Was there a wish that we should know about? Mm. Is it like, it's not even made clear whether it was that the town isn't going to get destroyed to make a golf course. It's like just this weird thing. It's almost like he's like, it's a bit more like his character from stand by me. It's almost like a crossover. Yeah. Yeah, it's it just comes out of nowhere, and it I don't think it's resolved. And he's really upset. He's doing his best child acting, and it's kind of it, it, being kind. That's kind of wasted, but also being awful. It's like we don't need to see that. Agree, Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, just, great. Yeah. I've got. Uh, yeah. Carry on. Okay. So um, after this, we're then back in the tunnels, um, and Chunk and Sloth break free from having been. Uh, like imprisoned by the Fratellis. And so the, the point being, we're all in the tunnels. We're all in the tunnels at different point. We've got the kids, we've got the Fratellis, we've got Chunk and Sloth sort of in order, progressing towards the treasure. And at this point, I was getting slightly annoyed because it reminded me so much of Indiana Jones that the clues that the kids were solving weren't harder. Like I wanted something to do along with them rather than just watch them read out directions. But then you get the piano made of bones. <laughs> and, I <really, laughs> and I really like that bit. I think that's a brilliant bit. Um, it's a clue you know, to solve. Do you know how brilliant it is? It's brilliant enough for Steven Spielberg to rip it off for The Last Crusade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, like, wait, the floor's collapsing if you don't play the right notes and the yeah. floor collapses if you don't spell Jehovah. But remember, in Latin, Jehovah is spelt with an I. <laughs> what a treat. Oh. <laughs> Let's do that yeah. film instead. Anyway, um, but I do like the Bones piano. Um, 
it's just fun, isn't it? Um, and yeah, it's a good clue. So I was happy by this point that it seems to be yeah. looking a bit more like Indiana Jones. Yeah, also, it looks terrifying. That thing. It's like what? It's like it's still got dried bits of flesh hanging off it. It's like makes these horrible sort of sounds. Yeah, it's a it's it's a nice thing. And there's not more of that. That's that's the problem. Yeah. It's like if you'd had two more, just two more puzzles to solve, yeah. it would have felt like there was a challenge. As it is, they walk through a cave, um, play an organ, and come to a pirate ship, and that's your lot. <laughs> yeah, because in Indiana Jones, the Jehovah, uh, the, the J mistake, he gets one mistake, doesn't he? Because he, it crumbles and he hops off it. Is that right? Yeah. But in this, you get like six chances <laughs> to fuck yeah. it up, which doesn't and make also- any sense. That's that's like that's one of three puzzles because before that it's a penitent man, a penitent man, a penitent man kneels before God, and there's all those blades that come out of the wall, and then it's the bridge that he has to throw the gravel over. I mean, simple stuff that could have been in the Goonies. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but then, like you say, once the bones piano thing is done and dusted, pun. <laughs> um, we basically get to the pirate ship, which obviously is a brilliant moment because, as you've said, it was hidden from the kids until the day of shooting. And so their reaction to it is as, as it would be if you were a child and you saw a fucking brilliant pirate ship. Yeah, there's a couple of weird yeah. moments on the commentary that got them all together with Richard Donner. One of them is a little bit earlier, um, Sean Astin, which he's denied since, but having watched it because it's a visual commentary as well as an audio one, he just seems to get so annoyed with Corey Feldman interrupting him that he just gets up and leaves. Who does? Sean Astin, who plays Mikey. Does he? Yeah. Wait, he walks off the ship? Yep, he's, uh, he walks off the commentary. Wait. He's had enough of speaking about oh. this movie. So, uh, what... At what period? Wait, set a time frame. So where was it? When's when's the commentary? When was it done? Ah, uh, when the DVD came out, the special edition DVD. So quite a so long time years ago. Later, now. Yeah, like yeah. Post post Lord of the Rings or pre Lord of the Rings? Oh, post Lord of the Rings. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and he's trying to tell a story about Cindy Lauper, and he kept getting interrupted, and then he just he just leaves. <laughs> oh my god! And he, did you watch the um, did you watch the Cindy Lauper video? Sorry, carry on about the commentary first, and then we'll talk about. Cindy yeah, I Lauper, love the Cindy Lauper video. video. I love it. Uh, it's I watched all twelve and a half minutes of it. It's in two parts. It's nuts that video. It's got like Rowdy Roddy Piper in it and other like Andre the Giants in it. And the bangles are in it before anyone knew who the bangles were. And it's just really odd. Steven Spielberg's in it. And it just goes on and on. It's like, do you know what it's like? It's like it's it's like the cannonball run of music videos. It's just loads of famous faces messing about. But it's quite good. And the weird thing is, in the movie, they're watching a music video on the telly about themselves that features themselves. Yes, and it's a music video that wasn't shot until after the film was made, and and spliced into that scene. So that's all. Is a bit, that right? Yeah, that's all a bit um, wonky. But what I was, I go- love. Um, Sorry, Con. She she did. Uh, Cindy Lauper was the musical director of the soundtrack uh, for the film, um, but that only that only carries so much weight because uh, she wrote the song, the title song, uh, "Good Enough." And she was like, so the song's called Good Enough. And Warner Brothers went, no, it's not. She went, no, it is. Here it is. It's called Good Enough. And they went, nah, it's called The Goonies are Good Enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so that's what it's called. And she didn't play it for years. She Apparently she hated it at the time and has only recently, um, or years later, warmed up to it. 
Yep, that's it. That's enough lauper. Uh, yeah, but on that commentary, um, Corey Feldman denies this story that none of them saw the pirate ship in advance. Oh, um, really? He says that they all snuck in and took a look at it. And he actually won't shut up about it. And it quite upsets Richard Donner because he'd lived with this thinking that he'd done this cool thing. Oh, um, that's awful. <laughs> but then what the nice thing is, the other kids all deny what Corey's claiming, saying, no, we didn't see it. We didn't see it. And Corey's like, yeah, you were with me. And then he starts saying, oh, Sean was with me. Sean's left. Sean saw it with me. And everyone's like, yeah, shut up, Corey. So, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, that's hate- made me feel really sad. <laughs> just because like as a dad he tried to do something nice for his kids and then yeah. one kid wrecked it but they're all pretending no dad no we didn't it's still good you're still a good dad <laughs> it's oh. mouth, mouth living up to his name <laughs> awful um and then there's a moment on the pirate ship which i hoped one of you might be able to explain to me because as i was I'd like i say i've seen this film a few times and i still don't get it sean astin has a connection that he tries to like make you as a viewer really feel between himself and one-eyed Willie. So he finds one-eyed Willie and he finds a treasure and he's sort of saying thank you to him. And he's kind of saying, oh, me and you are sort of the same. Like we're connected through the years. These are not actual dialogue, I should mm. I should say. But I didn't get it. Like it was, is he spoiled? Uh, what is the connection between him and this dead pirate beyond the fact that he had his map? He's trying to infer a similar character. And I, I just don't get it. I don't see it. He... Um- at the start, it doesn't it say it doesn't have doesn't his character have a glass eye? What? 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 <laughs> it doesn't. Isn't there a bit about Mikey having a glass eye? So he relates to the one-eyed thing, and then obviously he takes off the eye patch, and he's like, "Oh, okay, we're not quite the same." Then is that really it? I, I feel silly. I no. I've never noticed that, Alex. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's that's definitely it. I think. Um, well, this think is the trouble the with. The, there's many problems with this setup. But if I could see your lying face, then I would know. <laughs> <where> I <was. laughs> this is. A, I've listened back to a few of these, and I sound like such a fucking idiot because I haven't got a clue. Like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> uh, but he he says you were the first Goonie. I think he's trying to imply that sort of the the adventures that he went on, one I really the same as the adventures that Mikey and his friends go on, and actually something I had hadn't really picked up on before this viewing is them talking about the fact that when their parents were their age they went they went looking for one-eyed willie's treasure oh yeah that's so it's, sweet. Yeah. it's almost something that's been passed down from generation to generation and i've always thought you know because there's been you know they've always talked about doing a sequel to this it would be fun to see a prequel with his parents going on yeah. the adventure um yeah oh that would be better yeah prior to them yeah um, um, yeah, I, I do the the the, the one eyed Willie moment. What, in fact, possibly the moment from this entire movie that I definitely remembered and was a standout moment is the moment he lifts up the eye patch. Because when you think one eyed Willie, you don't think that he actually had no eye socket. He didn't just lose an eye; he had no eye socket. The bone, it was just bone where the eye socket should be. I thought that was quite good. I remember that being a bit of a shock when I was like six or seven years old. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then the Fratellis turn up and there is a bit of a walk the plank. Well, not a bit. There's a walk the plank moment, um, which we should talk about because of a very well-known deleted scene. Because my problem with this in the film is that it doesn't really matter about being pushed into the water because the water looks lovely and looks like it would be fun to go for a swim. And there's nothing yep. dangerous in the water. Or is there? So I'm passing you the right. bit on there. Talk about it. Chris, do you want to go... Yeah, well, there are two two big deleted scenes from this film, and one of them you can completely understand why uh, they you can't understand why they deleted it, but with this one you can. 
Um, the first one is early on, they go to the, the grocery store. Um, Mikey finds that the map, the treasure map maps up to their local map. And it's when it starts, stuff kicks off with Troy and Brand uh, basically having a fight there, which sets up why Troy then does that thing with the car and the bike to Brand in the next scene. Mm. Okay. Um, so that kind of helps make it, the film make more sense. But yeah, it's the it's this octopus scene. So Data obviously <laughs> says that they saw a giant octopus in the which is weird the that they that... left that in. Like I can't believe they didn't. Like it's so odd that he still says it. And there is no octopus in the movie. It's like, wow, that kid's a liar. <laughs> and and uh, but the the scene in question is, you know, it's a it's a it's an absolute disaster. They're, they're in the water, and Steph thinks Mouth is touching her, but we can see it's really an octopus under the water, or not an octopus. It's what is it? It's just a lump of rubber. Um, <laughs> I think. It- like I've heard it called in diff by different people a squid or an octopus. I think it's it's got the eyes of a squid, but I think it's tentacle. I I honestly don't know. I think it's a. I think it's more of a squid, to be honest. Oh, does Data call it a squid then? No, no he calls he it an octopus. I'm going to call no, it. You're right. I'm going to keep calling an octopus then. So this giant right. octopus is attacking them, and then to fight it off, they put Data puts a cassette in a cassette player and puts it in the octopus's <laughs> mouth and it either scares the octopus off or the octopus dances off. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's a song called How Eight, is- Eight Arms to Hold You by the Goon Squad. It's a song that was actually made for this movie and released in America and charted. <laughs> Please tell me uh, at what point does this scene get bad that you think it should have been cut? Because this is... <laughs> awesome right now the octopus dances off to a song about eight arms this is this is brilliant have you watched it alex i watched i saw that i didn't i never saw that i never got as far as the bit with the walkman i saw the bit where um where this the tentacles are under the water and mouth's like hey it's not me but i didn't know there was the bit with the cassette player that brilliant and very data as well because he's got all kinds of inventions that's an e so that's a it's embarrassing and i i believe that um that it's kind of like, you know the Man- the Mandela effect this thing where people think th- things from their childhood happened that didn't happen or or didn't happen that did um yeah so th- that's one of these where in America I believe that when it was broadcast on the TV because there's so much rude stuff and swearing they cut out a lot of a lot of stuff and added in stuff and so the octopus sequence was in some versions of this film that people watched as a child. And so when they were grown up discussing the film with friends, some people had seen this octopus scene and other people thought they were just completely making it up. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, um, there is another scene um, that apparently was cut as well. You know the bit where Sloth and Chunker reach the water pipes that all the Goonies have walked past and Sloth pushes um, them up and goes, uh-oh, and you hear a car crash and yeah. other sound effects from above. Well, apparently, um, when he did that, when he pushed them up, it was meant to be the zoo. Uh, the pipes at the zoo somehow let out a couple of gorillas, um, which started running riot around the town, and they steal Troy's Ford Mustang convertible and drive, mm-hmm. the gorillas drive, around the town, getting up to mischief in convenience stores and petrol stations. And they were two guys in gorilla suits that were the gorilla suits that we used for the movie Greystoke. Uh, Rick Baker designed these gorilla suits. Steven Spielberg shot this footage 
himself. He was the director of this footage and it didn't initially fit. And since then, they've lost the footage. So the thing is, when you think of Steven Spielberg and you go, oh, Steven Spielberg, there's some lost footage. Of all the possible <laughs> lost footage, that footage could be. You don't think it's a couple of guys fucking around in gorilla costumes. <laughs> Very Jumanji. Um, <laughs> yeah, when I when I watch, there's an unauthorized documentary about the Goonies online with a lot of a lot of the main people interviewed, and they talk about that. But they say that was a storyboard that was never shot. There's a there's a series of storyboards they've got. Um, that that in the in the storyboards it was an almond joy bar, not a baby Ruth bar that that um sloth eats. And there was a scene with leeches as well, where they all get covered in leeches at the wishing well, and Data uses his car battery he's been carrying around. Because a car battery, yeah, and uses <laughs> they're that so to, heavy. <laughs> uses that to electrocute the leeches. But I guess the leeches ended up in Stand by Me, and and the monkeys in the cars ended up in Jumanji. So yeah, well, there's you know, I mean, the Stand by Me thing, that whole story that Chunk tells to the Fratellis, mm. where he's like, this one time, I, I threw this vomit over the yeah. side of the balcony in a cinema, and it made everyone else vomit. It was the worst thing I ever did. That is the Lardass story yes. from Stand by Me. Yeah, completely. And the actual short story that Stephen King wrote, the body that Stand By Me is based on, had been released at that point. So I honestly think it was a genuine steal. They were like, mm-hmm. borrowing that's great. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it's a sort of race to the end. So Chunk or Superman, um, and with his friends, Superman, not Sloth, they rescue the kids, Um and uh, I can't remember what happens. They sort of struggle out of this gap and then they're running down the beach and all their parents are there because obviously they should have been reported missing by now, even if it's the 80s. Um, but then these property developed golf men turn up. Oh, also a nice touch, but not nice, but 80s touch. Um, Sean Astin's asthma appears to be a matter of willpower because it's the 80s. <laughs> so even though he's got chronic asthma, he's like, ah, who needs it? And chucks his inhaler in the sea as if to say, I'm all grown up now. I've been on this adventure and I no longer have asthma, which is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Um, and then the corporate baddie is defeated because uh, Rosalita finds some of the gems that have made it back and it's enough to make a contract invalid or something. Um, the reason I was disappointed by this ending a little bit is because I'd misremembered the ending. And do you want to know what my ending is? I don't know if it's better. Yep. In my ending, which is what yeah. I actually thought, this happens to be quite a lot, but this is what I really thought was going to happen. When One-Eyed Willie's ship, which I can't remember what it's called, it manages to sail out of the cave where it's been trapped for hundreds of years. I mm. thought that caused a tremor of such significance that the town basically fell into the sea and therefore a golf course was no longer viable because of the coastal erosion. How is that that's a victory for them? How is that it's a victory? Not, yeah. It's not, but I just thought that's how it ended. And I was like, oh, here comes the bit where it all falls in the sea. And that didn't happen. So that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> originally that whole that whole ending was shot at the house though and they did it all at the house and then they reshot it uh, on the beach where they'd just come out of um the cave because they just went yeah we need the, we want the pirate ship setting off the, in the background so they had to reshoot it there so they could have that bloody pirate ship in it uh, on it uh, yeah, uh, yeah very... but i prefer your ending thanks <laughs> vicky i'm surprised at how little mention of sloth 
Uh, you, oh yeah sorry yeah um i don't know what to say really because i feel a bit uncomfortable about it mm. about what happens to him and the way he's dealt with as a character and the way his family treats him so i suppose what i've done is just sidestep it which is a bit lazy but well it's very lazy actually i just feel nervous about it i don't like the fact that he's chained up obviously um i don't like the way that his mum talks to him i find it i just don't Oh, I don't know how to. I don't know how to approach it. But you well, that, do. Suge- that suggestion at the end that that um, she has caused whatever ailment he has mentally by yeah. dropping him on his head multiple times when he was a baby yeah. is yeah. is properly horrifying to drop that in at the end of the film. Yeah, it's not funny. So I didn't. Yeah, it also feels. I just, I can't tell. The way it's sort of delivered, it feels like it's just improv in the moment. I'd be interested to know, I don't know, if that was in the original script as as a sort of reveal or whether they were just sort of messing about on set and that was was come up with and someone went, yeah, let's, let's leave it in. It's the 80s. Yeah, it feels like it's very naturally delivered and it feels really quick. And yeah. um, she would obviously be capable of... She was a good actor. So, yeah, it's this, it seems conceivable. They set it, it up, just... They set it up though, the fact that how frightened they all are of of this mama. All three of these pretty big blokes are absolutely terrified of this woman. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's some video online of watching uh, the actor who plays Chunk having the makeup applied to him. Um and it's amazing makeup with the eyes and the, the ears moving independent. He was an American football player who won um, Super Bowl for the, the Raiders, um, a guy called John Matuzak, who was an absolute giant. And uh, I had fun watching interviews with him. He was talk about a playboy in real life. Um, unfortunately, sort of the drugs and the booze and the partying got him and he died not long after this. But yeah, he lived he lived several lives in his sort of 40 odd years on the planet and um I think he really does imbue Chunk with, uh, sorry, Sloth with, with, uh, I don't know, a vulnerability and a heart and a soul. And it's a very memorable character. Yeah, fair enough. Because it's not scary. Um, and it, it's, I know it's the, the reveal is that he's, you know, when you see him at first, he's, he's not lit from the front. It's just in shadow and he's roaring and it's, and the kids are scared when they see or hear him. But then when we see or hear him, He's he's quite sweet, so it does work. On that scared seven year old me though, and I yeah, found I, that when I, I rewatched it, and when I rewatched it, even though I knew that he he's ultimately a good person, and he is yeah. saves the day at the end, I would still be very frightened in those first couple of scenes, the way they shoot him, like we're watching a horror film. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of it all happens. It's all it all happens when they get to the Fratelli's hideout. I mean, there's the, the sloth moment, and then there's that whole bit which you sort of go, "This is." Like you sort of go in another in another movie. This is a this is horror, pure horror, where Chunk gets locked in a refrigerator with a dead body hanging <laughs> up and yeah. on a meat hook. You're like, wow, this is this this. Is, I I love it for that though. That's what I love about it. I I love the fact. I think you said it earlier, Chris. Like you know these young filmmakers who were just like, wow, let's just throw everything at this and it will get made it will hit cinema screens people will watch this yeah and upset my mum and dad <laughs> i asked Fair my enough, dad they're obsessed about the mess i think like because they don't want to encourage you before they know it you're fucking throwing your dinner at the windows or whatever it's <laughs> it can't, you can't have it i did tell my dad that we were doing this on the show and, and asked him his memories of that day and he said i i remember not liking the film but liking spending the day out in london with you two 
Oh, so, you're dead so oh. nice. <laughs> Come on, Chris. Don't do that oh. to me. Oh, wow. That's lovely. Classic Love Goonies Philly. never say die. <laughs> <laughs> so unless anyone's got more to add, uh, I think we could move on to the bits. Let's do it. Go for it. So, uh, Chris, what was your best scene? Uh, it's funny, Alex just mentioned it. Um, the scene when um, they asked Chunk to tell them everything and he tells them everything. I think it's a really <laughs> funny scene. It's really well written. It's really well delivered. Um, that scene in Stand By Me, I hate because they show you the vomiting, but him describing the puke yeah. in the movie theatres are uh, really effective. And I, this, the thing that made me sad um, is is Jeff Cohen talking about some of it was true that he was saying, like he did get sent to fat camp in real oh, life. No. He just said that he didn't run away. He sort of quite enjoyed it and got on with it there. But um, but yeah, I, I just think I think that's a really effective scene and it still makes me funny. And and as Alex says, um, that Josh Gad reunion show, he does actually reenact it. Um, him and Robert Darby, and it's very funny. It is, isn't it? It's a really good moment on that show. Uh, Alex, what's your best scene? Uh, my best scene, um, is. And we, we, I feel like I've done this twice on recent shows, and this is really sort of out of my comfort zone in terms of what I mentioned. But the score at the start, <laughs> I don't remember the Goonie score whatsoever. And when it comes in at the start, what's his name? David, Gr I wrote it down somewhere because I'm not used to talking about the score. Anyway, Mr. Composer, he's put together a right great score. And um, the car chase through the city where you're introduced to each of the Goonies like individually as they watch the car chase going by. And then it, I should say at this point, as I go on about the car chase, I love nothing more than a car chase. So when it looks like a scene from Smokey and the Bandit 2 at the end, where the truck joins, joins another shitload of trucks on a beach and they're all racing together, I was like, oh, I wish the whole movie was like this. But I, I love the start of the movie. And it is largely to do with the score. Um, it really set up like this, like the the feel of what was to come, and nothing quite equaled it. But I loved it. So yeah, the opening for me. Lovely. Um, I would just say it's obvious, but it's the reveal of the pirate ship because um, I love a theme park and I love a pirate ship galleon swing ride thing, and I love like fake pirate stuff. <laughs> like, um, and so if I I just even as a grown-up watching that film, I was still super jealous of those children being able to play on a pirate ship like that. I think that's good to make me feel like that, as jaded and bitter and closed off as I am. So I think I don't want to, I don't want to break your heart, Victoria. But apparently, they couldn't find anyone to uh, take the pirate ship afterwards. No one wanted uh, to use it for any of the movies. It had nowhere to go, so it was broken up, Victoria. No. It was destroyed. The set was turned to ash in seconds. <laughs> I would have had it. We could have put it in my massive garden. No, <laughs> I don't have. That would have been fine. Um, MVW, please, Chris. Uh, I'm nearly giving this to Sloth's Wiggling Ear. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. But I'm going to go for Anne Ramsey as Mama Fratelli um, because she brings real horror and terror to this film. Um, I, I don't like it at the end when the uh, the Fratellis seem silly and slapstick. I think it's much more effective in this film when they are seem very capable and very frightening people. Um, 
And I just think it's amazing for her that she had this this moment. She was sort of a jobbing TV actor. She was vaguely recognisable, but she wasn't really famous. And this really put her on the map. Um, uh, the reason she's talking with some difficulty, or, or it's kind of a bit unclear at, at times, is because she'd recently had some of her jaw and tongue removed because of cancer uh, the year before. And just um, three years later, she actually died of cancer. But in this small period of time between the Goonies and Throw Mama from the Train, she became this huge star and she really enjoyed it by all accounts. And I just think it's a really um, great performance and a real sort of surprise when you go into this film that she's one of the, the things that really sticks in your head. Yeah, she's brilliant. Um, There's that great moment where she wants uh, Robert Darby to go through the fireplace and she's she's like go through the fireplace, and he goes, he goes, ah, oh, mama, I don't want to go first. And she just points the gun at him. He goes, well, when you put it like that, of course. <laughs> it's really well delivered. Um, all right, my MVW uh, is the sloth and chunk. I'm pleased we talked about sloth at the end because it's the sloth and chunk double act. Mm. Um, I think if you chunk, uh, if you took chunk out of the movie, it'd be missing something because I think he's great. But I think both of them together is fantastic. I mean, you know, the whole sloth loves chunk line and that being possibly the most affecting line in the movie and their friendship. And I love it all. I do feel for chunk's parents at the very end when chunk just really puts them on the spot because he says to sloth in front of them you're gonna come and live with me now yeah and they're sort of like um okay uh <laughs> that's surely that's a conversation mr sloth <laughs> um we know nothing about you but um oh uh, really chunk really you really fucked us this time didn't you <laughs> yes exactly i agree um my most valuable whatever is Josh Brolin as Brand. He is he's just better than everybody else. And without him sort of holding that group of kids, well, without him and without Martha Plimpton, actually, it might be unwatchable. Sorry. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> wow. Um, I know, I know, I know. Um, and if you could change anything, Chris, what would you change? Uh, well, I would get rid of Josh Brolin's brand. I think he's the worst thing. In... <laughs> you always do <laughs> yeah, that. I, no, I, I don't. I don't. But I did actually think he wasn't that good in this. But that's not my change. Uh, I just wanted okay. to say that because I'm not in agreement with you, Vicky. I want to state that for the record. <laughs> um, I think the film really fizzles out. I think you should be building up to the best action sequence in the movie for that finale. And... I mean, the excitement is chunk swinging, uh, sorry, sloth slinging, swinging down and kicking them. Like, I just mm. think it really fizzles out when it should build to a real crescendo. Um, so I think sort that ending out. Yeah. I'm 100% with Chris. But I mean, I, I, for me, it's like, uh, so you've written this giant octopus in. There is no way that that isn't going to be like a bit of a like, whoa, we got a giant octopus moment. And then someone's gone, hey, uh, Chris Columbus, yeah, we've taken the giant octopus out. It really wasn't working. So um, obviously need to uh, put something in its place. And he's like, nah, nah, <laughs> not going to. Sounds like a lot of work. I've, I've moved on. Emotionally, I'm not there anymore. They're like, yeah, but we've, we've lost the octopus. Big action set piece. It's just not there. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. You just told me. Alex, like, you really... Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> you really need to watch that deleted scene. It's not a big action sequence. It's a, <laughs> Is it not? It's a joke. It's played for a joke rather than, than an action beat. 
I just think, like Vicky said, you've got this water there. You've got a guy on set who famously can make things under the water scary. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I just really think there, is, there are options there. Yeah. I, the, the whole pirate ship thing, the whole end of the movie, I think you're right, fizzles out because there isn't a big... Ba, ba, ba. Look at that. It's a shark <laughs> flying through the air. What if they'd had to all run from coastal erosion? Yeah. <laughs> Bring Roland Emmerich to direct the last 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You can have that. Or a big boulder. Uh, my... Or a big freaking boulder. Or a that big boulder. Away from. <laughs> yeah, why not? There is a scene where Data nearly gets run over by a boulder, isn't there? I'm sure there is another Indiana. Anyway, there are those. There, no, yeah, there are those big falling weights, yes. like giant rock weights, like, that like come big down. rocks. Yeah, that roll after him, kind of. Um, my change would be to give Chunk the love story, such as it is, because Brand, there's no way that that guy's a late starter, right? So he would blatantly already have a girlfriend of some sort. So it would count. Get a room, the... Vicky. Get a room. Bloody Sorry, <laughs> I, know, I don't even know how old he's supposed he's to be. A kid. Um, He's a child. Um, but I think it would counterbalance all the fat shaming because we'll talk about this as well when we talk about Monster Squad. But the way that these characters, the characterization that you give to the kids that you're like, oh, you're a big kid, is they're funny and humorous, but there's no there's no suggestion that they could be the sort of main guy with the love affair or anything like that. So give Chunk the love story. And then years later, it takes the pain out of all the fat shaming nonsense. All right, then. I think we're done on the Goonies. Um, before we crack into the Monster Squad on Thursday, would anyone like a mid-episodes quiz? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the quiz is called <laughs> The Gang Bang. <laughs> I really like it. Because <laughs> both films deal with gangs. Uh, so I'm going to list seven gangs. I just would like to know if these gangs are real gangs from movies or they are gangs that I've just made up okay. for shits and giggles. Okay. The Rock Riders. <laughs> Your first gang is The Rock Riders. Go true. Uh, made up. The Rock Riders is. True. It's the motorcycle gang in Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, your next gang. Are they real or did I make them up? The Young Bastards. (laughs) They're real. I'm going to say made up. I made them up. I just made them up. So Chris has got two. Vicky, I'd like you to write into your next script a character, a gang called the Young Bastards. Done. Um, your next gang, the Electric Eliminators. Made up. True. It is... True, Chris. Oh. Do you know where they're from, though? Uh, rollerball. It's not rollerball. It's the Warriors. Oh. They are one of the gangs in the Warriors. Okay, Chris is on three. Vicky's on zero. We have four gangs left. So, Vicky, it's time to make that comeback we've been talking about. <laughs> Your next gang is the Dead Rabbits. The Dead Rabbits. <laughs> I think it's made up. Vicky thinks it's made up. Chris thinks it's true. 
It is true. For sake. Chris, do you know what they're from? No, and I. Do, but it rings a bell. It's from Gangs of New York. Oh, of course. Is Brendan, it? Uh, of course. Yeah, Liam Neeson's gang is the Dead Rabbits. All oh. right, three to go. New gang. <sighs> Made up or real? The Large Owls. <laughs> <laughs> Made up. I'm going to go true. <laughs> I made it up. Oh, I made God. it up, Victoria. It's 4-1. You can't win, but we've only got two to go. This could be a mini comeback. Penelope Gang, the showering men. <laughs> made, made up. up. It's, it's made up. It's made up. And finally, uh, the Foot Clan. True. Oh, true. Is true. It's from... Turtles. Yes, exactly. Uh, so the final scores, Christopher has six, Victoria has three. Chris, you know more about gangs than Victoria. Do you want to be in my gang, my gang, my gang? My, yeah, probably I cut that. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. Or, or don't pay in the royalties. <laughs> <laughs> right then. Uh, lovely stuff. That is Goonies covered. So our competitor, the challenger this week is the Monster Squad. We'll be back on Thursday to go through that slice of 80s nostalgia. Join us then. In the meantime, oh, please oh, do. Oh, oh, can I can I do a clue? Yes. Oh, you want to do a clue? Yeah. I think you do it on purpose. You wait to me. Wait for me to hit my really big stride in the outro, and then you go. Um. <laughs> Actually, just as you're about to say, get in touch, you have a little clue from Chris. Go on. <laughs> All right. Well, introduce, introduce it, Alex. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, Chris's clue. For next week's show, uh, I am going to give you guys a clue uh, for the two movies. And the clue I'm giving is the show must go on. Okay. I like it. I like it. Thanks. The clue then is the show must go on for next week's clash. And in the meantime, uh, we're going now. This is the second <laughs> goodbye. It's not going to be quite the same as the first. Do get in touch on Twitter at ClashPod. Hit us up on email at show at ClashPod.com. And do rate and review us, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back to do the Monster Squad on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.